0: welcome to another sunday session on nrl.com my name is chris kennedy my regular co-pilot kenny scott will be dialing in very shortly but for now it's my great pleasure to welcome for his sunday session debut man about town zach bailey he's got uh, more jobs than i know how to count but he's up there on uh, on the ground in magic ground uh, getting the vibe getting the lay of the land zach uh, welcome to the podcast
1: Chris, it's great to be with you, especially on a magical weekend that is Magic Round in the NRL.
0: Um, first of all, what are you doing up there? Are you are you ground announcing? Are you reporting? Are You interviewing? Are you just giving away free tickets like Santa Claus? What's your, What's the story of your weekend?
1: A bit of a bit of all of that. Um, <laughs> early in the week, I was up here um, with my NRL.com hat on as a journalist. And then uh, over the weekend, I've been lucky enough to be out uh, as an MC on field, but trying my best to hype out the crowd. They don't really need too much help. They're all Mm. pretty excited to be at uh, Suncorp Stadium across the three days. And, um, mate, the place is absolutely buzzing. So it's been great. Um, Interviewed a few legends, uh, Marcus Fye, who, you know, he's kind of been in the rugby league wilderness for a while. But I remember uh, growing up and watching some of the special stuff he did. And, you know, and then you see the likes of Josh Adokar and those guys playing for melbourne um uh, you know so it's just even ray price for the yields so it's, it's been a great weekend
0: i was up there i was lucky enough to go two years ago and it was a real just sort of a, a festival carnival atmosphere the i was sort of playing you know guess the jersey there were some super jerseys like the old you know super league jerseys there were seagulls and crushes and you know newtown jets and all sorts of stuff have you kept an eye out for uh, for as many jerseys as you can
1: there's been a few random South fans uh, across all three days. So even though they only played yesterday, uh, yeah, on um, on Saturday. But uh, the one thing that I noticed was after Manly won, or whoever wins the night before, you see a lot of their team's jerseys the next day, which I don't think you would have seen if their team yeah. didn't have the win. Um, a lot of the floral shirts have been getting around that the NRL has got. Um, and a lot of the ambassadors have been wearing those all weekend. But as you mentioned, there is a, just a, all the way from the city, all the way down Caxton Street, all the way into the precinct that has um, plenty of bars and plenty of activities out there for everyone. Um, joint's buzzing. And I think Toby Rudolph said in, a, in an interview on radio on Saturday after the Sharks lost, um, he wants to do this two or three times a year. He thinks one in Brisbane – um, you know, one in Perth, one in New Zealand. Obviously, it's going to be tough, and logistically, that might may never happen. Um, but even from a, a player that lost uh, in, in a game that they probably should have won, he's just all for it. So it's great to see the players on board as well.
0: What have you made of the footy? I thought early on we might have uh, you know quite a few blowouts on our hands, but we've seen some crazy comebacks. You know, some some underdogs fighting pretty hard. There's been some uh, some good footy over the weekend.
1: Yeah, some great footy. Uh, I think it was 43 tries across the first two games, the first five games of footy. So uh, not uh, not a good week for all the defensive coaches out there. Um, but it was good to see. And I, I mean, for a lot of the fans that have been here for the first time or early on as rugby league fans, you you want to see that. You want to see free-flowing footy. Um, one of the the most gripping games was the Raiders against the Bulldogs, given what was on the line for the Raiders, they went down to 11 men at one point. Jack Whiten in a sin bin. Then Josh Papaliki got sent off. The way they came back, Curtis Scott scoring in the, in the right-hand corner and Ricky going absolutely bananas um, in the press box. And then Sebastian Chris sealed that win. That was pretty special because they they were in a massive hole. They're in an even bigger hole if they lose six straight. A special moment um, In the early game on Sunday, the Eels uh, against the Warriors when Jacob Arthur scored, it was just special because I was sitting right near where the Jacob Arthur uh, fan club was, his parents, his grandparents. uh, A lot of the junior rep guys had come up to watch him as well and they went berserk and then it cut to the big screen and Brad Arthur, um, he's normally got got a uh, a stern look on his face (laughs) but he was up fist pumping. a very special moment. It was just good to see given we don't normally see that side of him. Um, obviously, you know, we've got Ivan and Nathan as the father-son combo and uh, in the past we've seen Shane Flanagan and, and Kyle Flanagan in and in, around the league. But that was a really special moment and um, just Steve Allen, uh, the voice of rugby league, as he walked back, um, Jacob Arthur and, and said, you know, on debut, what a special moment for him. The crowd just went berserk. So that were two key moments uh, from the weekend.
0: Yeah, super special. I mean, obviously, plenty of attention around this uh, supposed crackdown on head contact. We've seen a variety of responses. A lot of the coaches have addressed it. Wayne Bennett gave one of the, um, you know, for a, a gruff, taciturn old coach who can often wrap up a, a press conference with three or four, you know, single-word answers, he um, he was at his expansive best on, on Saturday night. There's been a lot of opinions. What's the, what's the mood up there? What have you made of it all?
1: Well, it's funny, after Friday night, a lot of it was negativity. Um, But I guess over the next couple of weeks or even the last couple of days, people have become used to it, that this is the new norm, whether they like it or not. The first we probably heard about it was a couple of weeks ago when Graham Annesley said that it's a reset button for everyone, whether you're part of the media, whether you're a player, whether you're a coach, whether you're a fan. We're protecting the head whether you like it or not. And then this came out on the eve of Magic Round. People were questioning, I guess, the timing of it, um, whether, you know, the game should be celebrated this week and then have the crackdown next week. They decided to do it this week. And it's funny because as you said, some of the smartest and sharpest minds of the brain uh, brains in the game have had their say on it. And I dare say Peter Valandis would have spoken to the likes of Wayne Bennett and Trent Robinson before they've had this crackdown given they were part of the project Apollo meetings last year when the game came back. Um, So I don't think what, you know, Peter Volandis has just gone and done this without speaking to some of those key men. Um, on the flip side, you know, Todd Payton saying last night, you know, feel sorry for the fans, feel sorry for the players. Everyone you speak to has a different opinion. I will say this, though. All the fans that on day one that were thinking, you know, what is this? By day three, they're standing. Every time there was close yeah. to a high shot, everyone's standing up in the stands, chanting, Sin Bin, Sin Bin, like, give him 10. So, um it actually brought the fans into it. <laughs> They're hoping yeah. the opposition team gets reduced to 10 or you know 12 or eleven men.
0: I sort of found a bit of that myself. The the first game, I think we had eight sin bins in the first two games, and I was sort of like, oh, this seems a bit over the top. Then as the weekend went on and, you know, the players adapted very quickly, and then it's, you know, we're only really seeing the sin for the high shots. And I am I was a bit the same. Every time there's high contact, I'm like, well, are we go- Are going to go? Like, where's the where's the sin bin? And then obviously we've seen, um, you know, it didn't take too long in the, the second Sunday game for Josh McGuire to get sin bin. And then um, you know, it looks like Ryan Pappenhausen taken out of the game and Tyrell Filmono uh, sent off off so you know it's uh it's certainly a a change for the game but as i think bennett and robinson both said it's just a change that needs to happen you've got to protect the head and um, we'll get the balance right in terms of um you know, what, what is a bin and what's not and, and how sort of uh, pedantic they are. But um, it's probably just been a necessary change that's been coming for a while. And Graham Anderson also said publicly that this has been in the works for a, a number of weeks. It's not something they just sprung on the eve of magic round on a whim. It's been um, in the pipelines for, for most of the year and basically got approved, I think, two or three weeks ago. And it's just, this is just how the timing sort of worked out.
1: Yeah, 100%. And, and as, uh, you know, those guys have said, like Wayne Bennett said, that, you know, there was a shoulder charge once in our game, but you don't see it very often now. You see a couple of them, but then, you know, that they're not as, you know, they're few and far between Like from what they used to be. Um, players don't punch anymore because they know they're not allowed to. And if they do, they get suspended for a few weeks. I think if you ask Josh Papali'i next time he goes in to put one of those shots on, whether he'll be more cautious and get a little bit lower and not be as lazy or however, whatever you want to call it, I, I guarantee you he'll do it because not only does he want to let his team down when he gets sent off for that game, but he doesn't want to miss two or three weeks of footy. You know, if it's a week later, he misses origin, you know, if he doesn't take the early plea, things like that. So there's a lot on the line for these players and everyone has to get used to it, whether we like it or not.
0: It's uh, massively appreciate your time. I know you've got uh, places to be. Any final thoughts before we let you go from your uh, Sunday session debut?
1: Uh, bring on 2022 version of Magic Rounds and I'm yep. with Toby Rudolph. Let's have more of them um, throughout the year.
0: I'll be angling for an invite uh, for the next one. Thank you so much for joining us on the Sunday session.
1: All good, CK. Thanks for having me.
0: So I am now joined by Kenny Scott. Uh, Kenny, thank you for being here. Uh, a little bit of an impromptu dial in from uh, from Zach Bow to get some Magic Round uh, thoughts. Uh, we'll do this as a two-parter, so thank you for being here.
2: Always good to be here, CK.
0: Plenty to talk about. A stunning weekend of uh, rugby league. A couple of um, thrillers. A couple of blowouts. Plenty of controversy, which I'm sure we'll get to. Um, but some terrific footy played along the way. As we sit here, we've just seen the end of uh, the Panthers and the Titans. Panthers runaway winners, and it was a Nathan Cleary masterclass. The kid just keeps getting better.
2: This was this was
0: such a hard game for Titans fans to watch, right? Like. If you
2: like, if you have, if you let in two tries, like Penrith are a fantastic team. But will start there. Everybody knows that they're the benchmark, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. When you're, you have a one man advantage against that team, you need to capitalise, 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 and to let in two tries when you have a one man advantage must be so demoralising. And yeah. then to lose a player permanently for the game, what are you supposed to do? Like, honestly, I don't know. The fact that they managed to score twelve points, I think, is, is like shows. Congratulations to them because they were well within their rights to just, you know, lie down and let 70 run be right over the top of them because Penrith were on fire tonight.
0: Yeah, I'm I mean, going to guess well done to the Titans for not sort of throwing the toys out the cod and staying in it. And, you know, both Firmall had a big finish to the game and they got a couple of tries, which was good to set. A couple more denied as well. Some really, a couple of close groundings, I think, from McIntyre and Brian Kelly. So had a, almost had a couple more. But I kind of wonder if Penrith just got a little bit sick of beating up on them and took their foot off the gas a little bit yeah i mean it
2: it didn't have to be it didn't look like it was going to be this this complete one-sided match like you've always got to be careful against penrith but the opening 10 minutes were really really promising um in terms of what the titans were doing like they're making some really good runs up the middle they're making good ground and then just it all just swung completely against them like they had a, a um there was a moment where they had a Try disallowed, and then within two tackles, Penrith scored, and it's just, you know, floodgates open, see you later.
0: I'm sure we'll get to the, the crackdown a bit more later on, but this was the eighth game of the round, so we've had a seven-game look at any contact with the head is going to be dealt with harshly, and within, what was it, less than 20 minutes, Moses Leota comes out with a swinging arm on a halfback after he's kicked the ball, pretty much no option for the referee but to send him to the bin. And then 15 minutes after that, Herman Sasa comes out with the clothesline and just completely upends Brian Toto, collars him around the throat. Like, that was almost the same as the Jack Hetherington tackle on Val Holmes a few weeks ago that he got sent off for So This is a tackle that was probably a send-off even before the crackdown. Knowing that it's going to be... Uh, I don't know. It's just boggling.
2: You know, there are these moments where logic and reasoning goes out the window and you just think, I'm going to smash him. I'm going to smash him and we're going to win because of it. And that's all he was. That's like, he, he amped himself up so much that all, um, you know, yeah, all sense of, of right and wrong and what's best for the team goes out the window and you just, Focusing on like completely dominating this tackle and screwing it up completely and then getting sent off. I mean, yeah. it's a good thing that no one, no one was seriously injured in it, which is no. um. Why, why we can sort of laugh about this one. It's just one of those ones that um you know like the like the Chad Townsend hit on Kalen Ponga last year, just one of those <laughs> random brain explosions. That yeah. doesn't go I was even well.
0: trying to smash him? Like I think he just got wrong footed and hung the hung the arm out. But I mean, you know, you can't do it. But I mean, before we move on, um, you know, to the the rest of the games, just to you know got to talk about nathan cleary like this kid i think you asked me it might have even been last week is he the best player in the NRL last now? and i basically said you know he's, he's the most dominant at the moment but just to, to call him the best in the nrl i want to see him dominate at the, the top levels i haven't changed my view but in terms of week-to-week dominance that performance against the titans and, and admittedly scrappy and a bit under strength titans but that was just absolutely you know running the ball with with you know purpose and vision and he's ball playing the pass over the top to Charlie Staines. He is kicking. He's just absolutely got the, the full kit bag going at the moment. I'll tell
2: you what, last week I did ask you, is he the best player in the world right now? And you said he's got to win a premiership. He's got to, you know, lead an origin team. Um, but he is easily the most dominant player in the NRL at the moment. And that yeah. that yeah, game just, just proved your point. Um, he is... Head and shoulders above the rest in terms of, uh, yeah, dominance of the the current domestic competition. It, it's unbelievable in that game. Yeah, the Titans weren't at their best. They were down a man for base for the whole game, but he just he was just on fire.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, the previous game on Sunday, the middle of the the triple header, the Storm forty four points to eighteen over the Dragons. Um, was quite close for a a fair bit of this. The Storm obviously very under strength. missing Harry Grant, missing Cameron Munster, missing Brandon Smith, and then um, Ryan Pappenhausen makes his welcome return from injury, and he gets collared high by Tyrell Tyrell Formaono pretty early on in this one. This was a a nasty one. I really hate seeing players, you know, stay down or or stretch it off. Apparently, um, the good news is Pappenhausen's been cleared of anything sort of structural, any sort of, um, you know, fractures or any spinal issues or whatever, but obviously, uh, you know, very clearly concussed and a chance of missing a game next week. So nasty scenes there, but but otherwise just a really dominant performance from Melbourne.
2: This was, like, I, I talk about a game of what could have been, because if there was ever a time to beat Melbourne, like, this was it. Like, as you said, a host of talent on the sidelines, side Grant, Smith, Munster. Um, the Dragons were playing so well. You could tell they came to play and they came to really take the game to Melbourne because they were, like, it was Really, even I suppose for for most of that of, of that first half, like you could tell the Dragons had a game plan, spread the ball early, test Mel- like test Melbourne down the edges and all that sort of stuff. And Maguire gives away a sin binning. I mean, I yeah. think that's probably the way Maguire plays. He's really really aggressive, and I think him he's probably going to be one of the players that attracts more sin bins or um reports than than most, unless he really changes the way he plays. Um, but then uh. Yeah, they still stuck to their game plan. Um, they were what, down. They got they had that send off as you mentioned. They were down two men, um, and only conceding one try, uh, and then managed to score a try to make it like 14-10. The, the game was there, but there was just yeah. no way they were going to be able to keep that up. Like you can't be down against any team, let alone Melbourne, mm. for for very long. And they had basically a whole game.
0: Yeah, well, like you said, Tyrell was sent before Maguire was back from his sin bin. So it was 13 on 11 for a bit and actually handled that period quite well. Again, like you said, and um, I thought uh, Matt Dufty did some really nice stuff. Um, You know, a guy who's having a really good season, Mika Ravalawa, a hat-trick. I'm pretty sure his first hat-trick at NRL level. There were some nice pieces of this game from the Dragons. They they did score four tries in the end, but um, yeah, I mean, guess... You know, having a, a one-man deficit for the whole last sixty-five minutes of the game was um, was always going to be painful for them. And I guess we got to give some credit. I mean, Jerome Hughes having an absolutely stunning season, but Nico Hines, who's not even in Melbourne's best seventeen at full strength, is having an absolute sensational time of it with with Pappenhausen out, and then again today filling in at the back.
2: Is Nico Hines the new Pappenhausen? In that this is exactly yeah. this is Pappenhausen's journey to to where he is at the moment. He was. Third string halfback, I think, and then got a couple of chances, became like a um a, a bench player, et cetera, et cetera, and started doing wonderful, amazing things. And now he's starting, starting half uh, fullback, arguably one of the best fullbacks in the game. Uh and Nico Hines, he just, you know, this was his chance, paps out, and the rest of the stars are out. You got to stand up. People are already taking notice of him. And he was everywhere in that match. He's going to like all throughout the TV commentary, all I kept saying was he's off contract at the end of this year, you know. Every, every single thing he does, he just adds another zero to that asking price. He's going to be in demand, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, I finished up officially with uh, three tri assists, but I don't think that even captures his, uh, his impact on this game. He was he was magnificent. Where to now for the Dragons? I mean, you know, some really disappointing pieces of ill-discipline made it hard for them at the start of this this game. But other than a, a few nice pieces of play from um, you know, Dufty in particular and then a couple of nice bits from Hunt and, and Ravalao, is you know, fairly disappointing across the board.
2: Like were, were they were they disappointing? I think, like you, you shouldn't play you shouldn't play hypotheticals. But you know, had they not been down a man for most of the game, I, I honestly think they potentially could have won this match. Um, like you can tell, they came like I said before, like with a specific plan and it seems to have been working. And I really think they took Melbourne by surprise. And I think there's a lot of things that the Dragons will call, you know, after Magic Weekend, we'll say we're in Magic Round, sorry, we're in the new world. And I think there's a lot of things that the Dragons are going to have to work on in this new world with... Uh, tack, tackling techniques. I know they got done for a couple of hip drops, um, which aren't yeah. aren't head high, but they're still, they're still, you know, everyone's cracking down on dangerous uh, and illegal tackling techniques. So um, they both got put on report, you know, Maguire probably was close to getting his bin a second time as well. There's that sort of stuff. I think they need yeah. to, they'll, they'll have to really work on. But other than that, I still reckon they can take a, a lot out of this game um, because yeah, had they, had they not had that massive, Disadvantage for sixty-five minutes. It could have. It could have gone another way.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, the earlier Sunday game ended up thirty-four to eighteen. The Eels over the Warriors. This is a strange old game. The first twenty minutes, the Warriors were diabolical, and the Eels were absolutely white hot. Mitch Moses had the ball on a string, um, setting up tries and pretty much doing whatever he wanted and then um, games sort of started to get a bit scrappy and then it got away from power a bit Warriors got back into it I think they they scored the only try in that second 20 minutes um, of the first half and then looked like Eels were pulling away early in the second half and then it's pretty much all Warriors for the next 20 minutes until um, Jakey Arthur the coach's son put his stamp on the uh, on the match right at the end a, a real fairy tale moment for the the kid in his debut yeah, good for him. It's
2: it's always going to be tough when you when you're a, uh, when you're the coach's son and you get brought into the team. There's a, a million Simpsons references that we could use to um, to to go around that. But um, yeah, it was like you said, it was it was a weird game. Like it just it speaks so much about momentum. Like it's a really funny thing. It's a it's it's so obvious when it's with a particular team, and it's really interesting when it starts to swing because. Like you said, first half, it was just Parramatta all over the place. The Warriors couldn't even get the ball. When they did, they dropped. drop it. I think they completed like two out of – they were 50% at one point, two out of four, and that would have been about 15 minutes in. So, um, you know, possession was like 70-30. That were just – you know, all they were doing was defending. And, the, yeah, Parramatta dominated on that. they go going at 24 nil at halftime, something, something like that. 24-6 um, at halftime, but
0: they were up 26. 24 nil. yeah.
2: Um, and then that's the first part of the second half. It was kind of like the momentum sort of evened out. Nothing was really going on. I think the Parramatta were probably hoping they could just put the queue in the rack. But the Warriors, I don't really think, think they had an idea how they're going to try and swing this game around. And then, like you said, it just it all became Warriors for like a good twenty minute period. They were really coming home strong, and it was setting up for such a really like a really spectacular finish. But I think it's just all that extra defense that the Warriors had to do in the first half really drained them because when they had. In that period of, of, of dominance where momentum was with them, they had these opportunities right in the Eels' red zone, and they just failed to capitalize on that. I, I, it's, I reckon they were just so fatigued. Um, they weren't. They weren't tactical. They weren't. They weren't very good with their tactics. They weren't. Um, they They weren't aggressive enough think, with their um, fifth tackle options there. And I think that again had that gone the other way, had they not been so tired, potentially they could have gone in to win that game. But it was um, it was pretty fun to watch. And yeah. Brad Arthur's son, right at
0: the end. Yeah, that's a real, real good story. Yeah, i was um, talk about the Warriors a bit more in a second, but just on Brad Arthur, I was, um, I've done a couple of bits of um, getting a crack at commentating some Schoolboys Cup games, and I um, commentated a game last year, roughly this time last year. Uh, Jake Arthur was playing for um, Patrician Brothers Blacktown, uh, guided them to a big win over St. Dominic's College Um and I obviously knew he was Brad Arthur's son. He was, um, but I mean, there were 15 year olds on the field in this game. I think, um, you know, it was mostly sort of 16, 17 year olds. And he might've, I think he might've been 17 at the time, whatever he was, but sort of looked a bit, you know, class above in the schoolboys game. He set up a, a try and he, you know, defended really reliably, quite a big lad for a, a halfback, but, it's just incredible that 12 months on from, you know, being in a schoolboys cup game, he's making his NRL debut and scoring the, the match-winning trial. Like, you know, it's I don't want to say it's a, a quick rise because he's been around that Eels squad. He's been doing pre-seasons with them since he was 12 and he's been beating almost everyone except Clint Gutherson since he was about 15. So he's obviously an incredibly, mm-hmm. you know, dedicated, disciplined, you know, working young man. But, it's yeah, it still seems pretty quick to go from, you know, schoolboys cup 12 months ago to winning NRL games this weekend well i mean it's, it's
2: like that it was all the talk was the, the trouble that brad arthur was having in basically not selecting him because he, you know, he famously said the only reason i could think i really could think of to not select him was his last name like he's yeah. he's doing that well and he, he deserves his spot and you could also tell that he didn't want to like he had a team first mentality and his first um and ryan madison's first try brad arthur brad arthur um,
0: Jack Arthur, could-
2: <laughs> Jack Arthur. Uh, Brad Arthur's son could have scored the try himself it was wide open but you know maybe 85% chance he gets it 100% chance the man is his outside gets it so he gives the ball um, yeah. And I think that just showed you know, his, his level heaviness and obviously he deserves his spot.
0: Yeah, I thought a very good supporting role pretty much the whole way through the game. Obviously, the, the nice step to, to score at the end, but I'm um, otherwise just sort of happy to be second fiddle and, and do his job. He had a couple of nice kicks and, you know, got through his tackles. So a good uh, debut for him. Just before we leave the Warriors, um, Rhys Walsh, speaking of teenage NRL players. Um, I think they're still working out how to use him, but only got on the field because I think Rocco Berry, it was uh, the winger went off with it an HIA, which he, he failed. So Walsh, I couldn't even tell you what position he was playing. He came on at wing and then he was sort of attacking at five, eight and swapping a bit with Roger at the back. And um, yeah, I'm not sure how to say what, what role he was playing in this game. I'm not sure if Nathan Brown knows best how to use him. I just know that he probably needs to be out there for large chunks of games if, um, if Warriors are going to be a force this season because he's, he's something special.
2: Yeah, that, that period of momentum that the Warriors had was off the back of, of some, some of the plays that, that Reese Walsh did. He was... The game changed when he came on there. I do want to give a shout out to, um, to Gutho, though, because I think Reese Walsh was out in the field maybe like five minutes, fresh as a daisy. Gutho had been out there the whole time and um, chased him down. Uh, Guffo chased yeah. Reese Walsh, Walsh down, like, you know, um, which I thought would be impossible, right? Guffo must have been fatigued, and Reese Walsh is really fast, but um, it just shows the kind of captain that he is, I suppose.
0: It's almost Walsh's first touch here. I remember the play you were talking about. Uh, Guffo is famously the, the fittest at the Eels and, and leads all the, um, you know, the off season training and stuff. So you, you'd want <coughs> the talismanic skipper to be um, putting in in those sort of um, efforts. You know, just the game overall, it, you know, Eels still second on the ladder. It was probably a little bit disappointing in terms of the, the second half they let the Warriors back in if they want to be contenders you've seen how ruthless uh, Penrith have been week to week and then for the Warriors I guess you take the first 20 out they're probably the, the better team for a lot of that game so I'm not prepared to, to write them off by any stretch in terms of you know I don't think they'll win the comp but in terms of making the, the top eight I still think they're in that bracket.
2: Well I think you, you raise a, a good point right so like there, there's a there's probably only two teams you can write off, I would say, which is the Bulldogs and the Broncos. The Tigers are probably hanging on by a thread, but then above them, it's, it's you know, and even if they string a couple of wins together as well, like it's really anybody outside of that top four could make a real, um, you know, could be up there as a contender. Again, probably not going to make the grand final, but could definitely um, set their sights on making the top eight.
0: Yeah, I think Roosters in fifth and upwards is all safe for the top eight, and then from there we've got Dragons, Manly, Titans, Raiders, Warriors, Knights, Cowboys, and then the West Tigers. And I think Cowboys up, everyone can realistically say let's shoot for that sort of seventh or eighth spot. But mm. I don't think anyone below the Roosters is is winning the grand final this year. But no, I agree. Um, yeah, speaking well, you never the- heard,
2: like there is this crackdown and strange things. <laughs> you know, you could get three people sent off in a game and. There you go.
0: Yeah, he might need three people sent off for twelve weeks for a, <laughs> from a few of the top teams. Yeah, that raises an
2: interesting point. Like, like this is not going to happen, right? But what's the what's the minimum number of players you need to be able to have on the field at any one time for a, a game to not be called off? Like, if you had three players sent off, would the game have
0: to be forfeited? <sighs> There is a rule for this, and I think it might be nine. I think if it gets to 13 or nine, it might be called off. I don't want, don't quote me on it, even though we're on a podcast, so I'm <laughs> able to be quoted on it. Um, I think, I feel like it might be 13 or nine. I'd have to double check. I'm, right. I'm gonna do it midstream, but um, yeah, there is a, a rule around it, but I, I don't think we'll get to that point. I think the- um, No, I don't think so
2: either, but it's, it's interesting to know.
0: Yeah. Um, Speaking of the Roosters, as we were a minute ago, they um, they won 30, 30 to sixteen against the Cowboys on Saturday night. Um, probably did it reasonably comfortably in the end, but um, yeah, Cowboys certainly showed plenty of fight. It was pretty much just a, a monster second half from James Tedesco that that dragged the Roosters over the line in this one. Uh,
2: Roosters up eighteen nil. I would have thought, yeah, you can put your house on it, like. Roosters are going to run away with this. And then the Cowboys, like, good for them. They've shown so much improvement since, you know, those first two or three rounds this year where they just looked like they were going to have a horrible time. I think Val Holmes has really found his, like, found his feet and sort of knows how he's supposed to be playing in that team. He had had an excellent game. Um, You know, they they brought it up to, what, 18-16. And at that point, if you looked at the body language after the Cowboys scored their last try... Um, to make it to get up to 16 points the body language of the Roosters really looked like they actually were going to be in trouble here like this was Mm -hmm. this was going to be a a tough game and it all like it all changed on that penalty goal miss from Val Holmes to level the scores after that it sort of seemed like things just didn't really go their way after that and the Roosters like you said sort of ran away and um, James Tedesco had a massive massive second half to really drag the team over the line but I think it's it probably says more about the Roosters than it does the Cowboys. And that like the Roosters are maybe not this year because they've got a, a, a fair amount of injuries, but they're a, you know, a top echelon team, but they seem to have this habit of getting in front and then kind of just sort of like falling behind and getting a bit loose. And, and they usually always manage to get their way out of it, but they, you know, it just seems like for a team that is, as you know, Got such a strong culture and is well drilled and well disciplined like they are it's just an odd thing for them to continually be doing um like i said they've probably got a lot of like injuries would have something to do with it but um this was a game where it could have gone to the cowboys had um uh you know had they leveled the score actually again i'm, I'm talking hypotheticals i shouldn't do that um but had they leveled the score at that point it, it might have been different
0: yeah, I mean, there's not a lot of clubs that could lose the calibre of troops that the Roosters have lost and still be chalking up wins and still be you know, sitting in fifth place on the, the ladder. So it's, it has been very impressive from them. Another pretty good game from Sam Walker, certainly not his most dominant. He scored a try and had some nice touches. Lachlan Lamb came back from injury as well. He had a couple of tries in there um, as well. Uh, Angus Crichton, who's uh, clearly origin-bound, had a, a monster game as well. So, yeah, a few of their, um, their key players stood up when they needed them to.
2: Yeah, Sam Walker, great, uh, like decent game, but got showed up a couple of times defensively. But we, you know, when you're, like he says, when you're the skinny white kid on the NRL field, they're always going yeah, to yeah. for you and that's just the way it goes. There's There was one thing that happened in this game um, that as it happened, I was like, I'm going to have to ask CK to, to explain this one to me because I didn't quite get it. And I'm hoping that you noticed it and that you, you knew what happened. If you didn't, we can just move on. But there was a moment where Tedesco was hit illegally and that incident went on report. He came off only to be yeah. brought back on. And I know, I think the Roosters sort of gamed the system a bit to get a free interchange out of it. I'm not yeah. saying how dare they. Like, if that's the rules, that's the rules. But I didn't really understand what had happened. Do you know what happened?
0: I do. It's actually happened quite a few times this year. There was one, the Storm did it well, earlier in the season when Munster was fouled and he went off and came straight back on. It actually happened in the last game when Brian Toto was hit Um just by, just before halftime by Herman S.A.S.A. as well, he went off and came back on as well. So basically when there is foul play, um, you get a free interchange, but you also get a free interchange to come back on. So right. basically they use the free interchange to take Tedesco off and get a fresh forward on, and then straight away they bring Tedesco back with the free interchange and take the tired forward off. So it's basically bringing on a fresh uh-huh. forward for a tied yeah, forward. gotcha. And... but. I want to say most clubs have done that at some point this year. Yeah. Like I said, Penrith did it this round. Um, I think there was another one this round as well that I can't remember. And um, you know, the Storm got attention for it because people like slinging mud at the Storm. But they're any they're far from being the only team that that does it. It's you know pretty much all teams do it. So that's basically how it works. The foul play free interchange off and then on. If the player is actually physically okay and doesn't need any assessment, you can just get him off for ten seconds, bring him back on, and um, yeah. just use it to, to swap your forwards around. Um, moving on to the previous Saturday game, the Sharks and the Rabbitohs, uh, 32-22 South ended up winning this one. I think quite a few of us, and, and probably myself included, were, were tipping a big bounce back from the Rabbitohs and probably a, a big win over the, the Sharks. Didn't quite pan out that way. Um, both these teams obviously lost by huge margins last week, but, um, Rabbitohs still missing, obviously some, uh, some key players weren't able to, um, you know, to put the Sharks away, but it's, you know, pretty much desperation stakes for Cronulla now down in 14th ahead of only the, the dogs and the bulldogs, whereas South's, you know, with with troops to come back are still sitting in the top four.
2: Yeah, this was, um, yeah, like you said, a bounce back factor game, right? So both, both teams coming off epic losses. One of them is going to have to bounce back in a huge way. It's probably never going to be the Sharks. It's probably not going to be the Sharks this year because of what they're going through and, all that sort of stuff. So you would expect South to come back in a big way. And they did come back in a big way for about 20 minutes to half an hour. And then it all just sort of came to a, a screeching halt, which I found um, just odd. Like, that's not really how how South go about things. Um, they went into halftime relatively comfortable. But then that, like, the first half of the second half, like, dare I say, it was kind of boring. Like, there wasn't really much going on. And I think, um, like, a when the crowd breaks into a giant Mexican wave at a football game, not during, not in between a football game, not at halftime of a football game, during a football game, it usually means there's not that much action happening on the yeah. field. And I think it was entertaining to watch that Mexican wave, sure, but it, it just meant the, the game had sort of ground down to a halt. It was, um, yeah, a bit weird that way. And then and um, when Aaron Woods made it, what, 20 to 12, then it sort of, the game kicked, kicked back into gear and it started getting really exciting and, and frantic again. Um, but yeah, like the Sharks... They're just I don't know what they're gonna do for the rest of the year. Like I don't want to say it's a write-off year, but they'll then you know, I don't think there are any chances of making the finals. They're obviously going through some sort of rebuild. Um, it's gonna be a tough one for them to take positives out of because you don't know who's gonna be there next year in yeah. terms of like their core base, because aren't they like they're all off contract, aren't they? We know Chad Towns is moving on as well. Um, it's just gonna be a... yeah, they're just gonna to have to struggle to get to the end of this one, I think. But um, and South's, yeah, I mean, it wasn't about bounce back game, but, um, you know, at least they won.
0: Yeah. My early highlight was a couple of sublime pieces of play from, uh, Benji Marshall, who just continues to, to, you know, roll back the, wind back the clock and, and come up with, with big plays when needed, um, playing in the, the halves at the moment with Latrell out and Cody at fullback. Um, my other highlight for this one was Wayne Bennett's press conference, um, which I wasn't up there for Magic Round, but I was working. So I was watching the, the press conferences and um, Wayne Bennett can be gruff and grumpy and he can wrap up a presser in sort of 40 seconds with a couple of one word answers. Or if he wants to be, he can be very expansive. And he was hugely expansive on this one talking about the current um, crackdown and, and the way that the game's going. And he really sort of made some good points. I mean, we're always going to talk about the crackdown. Let's break into it now. Um, why not? He made the point very strongly that we need to address players being hit in the head. We don't want to get to a period in 10 or 15 or 20 or 50 years where, you know, there's all these legal cases and, you know, the the game had a chance to stop this from happening and just went, no, we, you know, we're about hitting each other in the head. We're going to let it go. Um, He pointed to to rugby and AFL, which are both very stringent on um, any head high contact um, and basically said, you know, is everyone else wrong and we're right sort of thing or clearly not. So he very much backed the, the crackdown, which I, I sort of at the start of that, probably the f- the first game or the first two games, of those eight sin I was like, oh, this is a little bit silly. This is going to be a long weekend. But uh, I think this was the point I really turned around and went, yeah, this is an important thing for the game to do. And there's probably a couple over the weekend. They were a bit overzealous. I think um, Lachlan Burr, who didn't do a lot wrong in that Tedesco tackle was pretty unlucky to be sent. I thought Tyson Gamble and Jordan Ricky probably paid the price for both of them having already done some foul play earlier in the game and each of them it was their second offence rather than the individual incident being sin bin worthy. But most of the sin bins and send offs, I couldn't, the three send offs I think were send offs before the crackdown. And then I think there were 14 or 15, 14 sin bins other than that. A few were like for professional fouls, you know, repeat infringement type thing. Most of them were for illegal contact. And most of those I think warranted it. There were only a few that I thought were, were nitpicking. And, and Bennett's only real complaint was about going back you know four and five tackles in a set slowing the game down for the bunker to pick something up that could probably be dealt with by the match review committee and i thought that was probably a fair point as well i don't really enjoy going back four and five plays when we've already moved on for something that's been missed but other than that i just thought he made some terrific points
2: yeah i I would agree i think i mean wayne bennett often yes he, he can be quite insightful when he wants to be um this sort of, I, I, rec- I think this change or this crackdown, we call it, really split the the rugby league uh, opinion having brigade, which is all of us, into two <laughs> very different camps. Which is, you know, yeah, like pro and con, really, or like uh, for and against. And there are ones like you and I who think, yep, it might be annoying now, but it's, it's 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 the right thing to do, and it's where the game needs to go. And hitting people in the head has always been illegal anyway. And then there's the brigade that that's oh, the game's ruined, and I hate this. And rugby yeah. league's dead forever um and it's just for me it's just a natural evolution of the game and, and you know it was the same thing that happened with punching same thing that happened with uh, shoulder, know, the, charges, the, the, tackles, shoulder charges, spear tackles, spear tackles like the brutality of the 70s and the 80s like that was all taken out of the game because the game grew and expectations of, of safety grew and all that sort of stuff and this is just the next iteration of it yeah there's going to be some kinks in there um, but it's it's all for detriment in the long in the long run. So, um, and I, I reckon most people, the people that are most upset are the ones that had a sin bin go against their team. That's generally how any rugby league, <laughs> like it's true. Like you get so upset when things don't go your way, but when a player on the opposing team gets sent off, you're like, yeah, that's right, cop that, you you, you dirty player. And it's just that's just the way it goes. We live and die by the performance of our team.
0: A few people have pointed out to me, and Zach, when I spoke to him earlier, said the same thing, is that, you know, the first game or two, everyone's like, oh, what's this, what's going on? And then by game three or four, any head high contact, all the fans are like, oh, oh, like, yeah. how quickly Doing everyone got into it. it. Yeah, yeah. I point, love that. Point, that,
2: point. that 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 gesture, the referee, like, you know, point, uh, give him a like yeah. 10 fingers at the player and then points to the grandstand is just such an amazing, like, such a, a brilliant animation. To to happen, it's 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 good fun.
0: And then the drama of when it's not a a symbian, it's just a send off, and they just point like just the (laughs) go, just go, just go. (laughs) Don't talk, just go. So good, so good. Um, Anyway, that was uh, that was the sharks and the rabbitos, the bulldogs and the raiders um, kicked off Saturday footy, and this one. I don't know what I was expecting from it. It wasn't this though, but um, an absolute grandstand finish. Both teams tried really hard to lose this in the last 15 or so. And the Bulldogs just tried that little bit harder, I think, and not... not <laughs> Apologies to Bulldogs fans, you're his- being—you're being mean. <laughs> <You> <laughs> poor Bulldogs. They—they <laughs> they bottled this. 13 on 12. Josh Papali'i obviously sent off. They were in front with a one-man advantage and took some terrible options. And um, yeah, Canberra were the, the beneficiaries, and it snaps. I think a five-game losing streak for them. But they—they um, yeah, they tried to lose it themselves a few times. Yeah, like
2: has there ever been a game that was so perfectly in one team's favour? Just come undone so quickly. Honestly, it was it was excruciating to watch. Really feel sorry for Trent Barrett because he's got a real battle on his hands. But for me, it just comes down to the Bulldogs' halves. They like, what are they going to do with, with their halves? Because they're not, it's not working. Like they didn't think Carl, Carl Flanagan wasn't working, so he's been hooked and he got dropped. Whatever they had served up this weekend didn't work. And that was the reason. Like, I think that's the reason why they lost the game. Like same, same story as always. When it came down to their, their fifth tackle options, they didn't really know what was going on, panicked, got a bit desperate, didn't really seem to have any long-term plan. And I, and I think maybe it's just, it's like, you know, hurtling down a, a hill on a skateboard and you get the death wobbles. You're just like, things are going too, like yeah. things are suddenly going too fast and you don't know what to do and then you stack it. And, and that's what happened. I, I, I just, it was just so disappointing because that was such a, such a, the game was right there for them. And they just bottled it completely. So um, I, don't, I, yeah, I don't know what they do. Again, I reckon they're going to have to go to market with big money and, and buy like a name halfback um, to really settle that team. Because, um, you know, you can chuck Joshua, like Josh a in there. You can chuck, chuck Matt Burton in there. That's great. But, I mean, I guess I'll have Matt Burton play six potentially. Um, but there's just still a lot of work to do.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think the plan – I don't know if it's changing, but the plan would probably be for Matt Burton to come and play six alongside – Kyle Flanagan. I don't think you know Kyle Flanagan's had some wonderful games in his career. He had took some really poor options, you know, the week prior that that led to him being left out for for Magic Round. But um, I think with the right environment, and the right coaching, he's obviously got a lot of ability. So you know, hopefully, bringing in your edo O'Car's and your Matt Burton's and a, a few other guys will um, you know be good for him and, and those around him. Had a few forwards going okay lately. Renoff tony who apparently there's reports that he's being looked at by some other clubs, but um in terms of this year yeah they just need to try and find a way to win a couple of games and, and not come last um for Canberra I don't I don't know what to make of this for Canberra I mean they were missing a couple of players uh Josh Hodgson is his first game back from injury and now I think he's missing one more uh I haven't seen the plea but he's facing one um for a band Whiten um for that Cannonball he's going to miss one as well or I, I thought he was probably lucky not to, to pick up more than that Whiten and, and then um Josh Papali, three to five, three if he takes the early plea, um, Puts him out of Origin 1 as well. So they're going to be uh, short-staffed again for the next couple of weeks. They've got some tough games coming up as well. Uh, the Raiders, they've got, um, was it next week's the Storm? So tough times. Well, that's
2: you know that's Ricky Stewart's wheelhouse. He loves adversity. He loves tough times because he's always trying to create this us us versus them mentality, whether it's there or not. But this time, it'll be there, right? Because, like you said, they've lost. Like, going you to know, lose Papa for three to five weeks. They've got some tough tough games coming up, and they're missing some key personnel. Um, it's really this is it, fellas. Come on, bugger down. Let's do it. Let's do it the grumbly Ricky Stewart way. Uh, and hopefully, that that gets the best out of them. Because um, I would have been really interesting to see. Ricky's Ricky's press conference afterwards, he was obviously furious with the rule changes and probably losing losing its fabric and it's a game that's not for everybody, which is untrue. Um, But that's what he said. And it would have been interesting. And he was obviously really angry. Imagine if they had lost the game. Like, what what would he... He probably would have refused to show up, I think. Um, But, you know, the team's down. They've had a a gutsy win. uh, And now they've got a couple of really hard games coming up. This is exactly where Ricky Stewart wants them to be because this is how they'll prove themselves, the Ricky Stewart way.
0: Yeah, I mean, again, like he was complaining about the, um, the the referees, was it last week, with the obstruction calls? Now, both classic obstructions, and it was like <laughs> really easy decisions for the refs to say. There were two tries to Jack White and overturned for basically running behind his own players, and people want to say that, such and such a player took a dive or whatever. Just don't run behind your own player. And then this week, you know, Josh Papali, Papali, you know, shoulder contact to the head gets sent off. It's probably a sin bin last week, but it's still foul play and he had to go. Jack Whiten, like I said, I think he's lucky he's not missing more time. You can snap blokes ACLs with those sorts of tackles. So, I mean, to me, the the question mark's got to be over the Raiders' discipline rather than whether the fabric of the game's being destroyed by penalising dangerous contact. Hey, I right, agree.
2: You gotta you gotta convince Ricky Stewart, not me. Yeah, yeah, well.
0: <laughs> I don't know if you'll be listening to me. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Seagulls and the Broncos, 50 points to six uh, on Friday night. This was um, this was a bad night for for Brisbane. As I touched on earlier, a couple of blokes sin bin, but the, the game was well away from them before that happened. We I mean, mainly lost Kieran Foran to a broken hand in the, the opening few minutes and didn't skip a beat. B. They, they've been sensational since Turbo came back. They only lost one game, and that was a pretty hard-fought one against the, the Panthers. Turbo, another two tries and two try assists. Brisbane. I mean, Kevin Walters was uh, pretty dismayed at their efforts in the the presser after this one, and and rightfully so. This um, yeah, not a good night for Brisbane at all. Yeah, so direct
2: quote from Kevin Walters in that presser. It was a terrible night for Broncos people. I feel sorry for all of our fans and sponsors. So good on him for not blaming the Sin Bins, but really, they were cooked well before the Sin Bins happened. Like, the melee were all over them, like, from the get-go. It was... It was really quite disappointing because with the Broncos, it's been like, you know, one step forward, two steps back, because I thought they'd strung a really a couple of really promising wins, uh, not wins, a couple of promising games together. Um like last week against the Cowboys, yeah, they didn't win, but it was a really, really solid effort and they showed improvement. But they just I don't know, it's like they just forgot to forgot to turn up. Like and you know, I hate that saying it didn't turn up, but it was just it was a terrible game, a really, really terrible game for the Broncos that they'll they'll be pretty upset about that one. And for Manly... What do you say? Everybody played amazing, like the whole team. And they were all, you know, they just had a really happy vibe about them. I think Ruben Garrett kicked like, what, eight from eight, something like that. They just, yeah, everyone was miss. doing the right things. Yeah, it was just, like, yeah. And like, where did they come from? Because Manly were terrible. Manly were yeah. terrible. And it can't just be Tom Trubovic. Like, it just cannot be the only reason. Something else has happened in that team. Maybe it's just, maybe he's got this really infectious spirit or I don't know, but they, from what, what we saw, um this weekend to you know round one different team
0: yeah i mean it's hard to without having you know we've all played a bit of sport in our time but in terms of being in a professional sporting team environment it's radically different to you know playing some park footy or some park cricket or whatever so i don't know what it's like when you're in one of those high pressure bubbles but that win that 13-12 win over the warriors i think that was the game before turbo came back it was ugly and it was scrappy and they were probably a little bit lucky to win and um you know both teams could have played a lot better but sometimes that's all you need is just that you know that one win that one sort of team song that one boost in morale and then to get turbo back after that and then for him to you know reinvigorate the team and then all of a sudden you know you've won two in a row you've completely forgotten about how bad you were going and then other teams are falling over in front of you and you're you know you're off and running and and that's all you need um I think I mentioned on this podcast back when it happened, I think it was it was around four or five when, um, when Panthers absolutely touched them up out there at, at Lotto land and, um, the, the journals that were there we spoke to Kieran for and after the game and that interview that he gave he mentioned four or five separate times about the the club being down on confidence and oh, when you when you've got no confidence this and you know it's you know, hard when you've got no confidence to blah, blah blah and I just thought you know the body language wasn't good and he just seemed really despondent I'm like how are these blokes going to get out of it and then you look at the way they're playing now and they're you know high-fiving and smiling and everyone's having a great time and um, everything's going right it's, it's just remarkable how quickly it changes yeah
2: in terms of uh body language and attitude they they look exactly the same as penrith like we always do going on about how happy penrith look those players like are having a great time enjoying playing with each other and for each other it's exactly the same for manly and yeah winning by 50 or of course you're like you're going to be pretty happy but even before they're up by that like just just look they're just in a really good space and that's you know a credit to des Hasler because you know for getting him there and I don't know what he's been doing, but they're just—they just look like they're a team that is playing in that really good niche where you just everything's going well for you. You enjoy who you play with, you trust the people that you play with, and it just produces good results.
0: Yeah, I mean they're up to seventh on the ladder now. They're once um, or level on points, but the the dragons are the team ahead of them. If those two play, teams played next week, I'd be tipping Manly to beat yep. the dragons. And um, the team they actually do play next week uh, is Parramatta, and I'm. Um, Oh. Would not surprise me at all. It's at Bank West, but would not surprise me at all if Manly win that game. Um, been some real sort of upsets between these two teams over the years and some, some ding-dong battles. of um, I wouldn't want to pick a winner between those two at the moment either. That's a, that is a
2: high-pressure game for Parramatta, and hardened Parramatta fans like yourself would say that they'll probably lose because of that
0: absolutely um we'll be manly <laughs> just to be safe um the first game of the round you've been waiting all night for it the tigers 36 points to 18 over the nights where's this been kenny how good
2: <laughs> so i want to take you back to last week yeah. uh, i i asked you um what do you think of luke brooks and before you gave your answer i gave my answer which was yeah he's a good player but i really think the tigers and luke brooks should part ways and you said um you think luke brooks is a good player he's just you know, halfback, there's always a lot of uh, pr- pressure and focus on a halfback. He probably gets undue praise when he does well and undue criticism when it, things don't go as well. Well, I'm going to say all that's crap because Luke Brooks is probably the greatest player in the game and the Tigers <laughs> should sign him up for life. But seriously, um, it was an amazing game. But when when Michael Maguire dropped that team list of shifting Dewey from 5'8 to centre, Matt I thought he, I thought, I was, what are you doing? Like, yeah. Dewey's been the best player all year. He's the only thing keeping this team together and you're moving him out. You know, like, are you just trying to spare poor old Luke's feelings? Like, what's going on here? Um, and I had no faith in M um, by at six either. And then they just played like uh, just a completely different team. Like, Luke Brooks played like a halfback. Like, he dominated that game. He was everywhere, he was in everything engaging the line, tactical kicks, like brilliant passes. It was just, it shows how good a player he is. And I just hope that the, the team can can maintain that. Like there was still there was still some typical like Tigers-ish play in there that that um, meant like, you know, like um Tommy Tilau uh basically handing a try to Newcastle that only, only wasn't <laughs> scored because they managed to not great like weird things like that. But there was also some amazing things that the Tigers did in that game that's so unlike them. Like towards the end of the game when it was not not The game wasn't over, but the Tigers were basically basically home. Newcastle had really great attacking opportunities. And every single time there was a swarm of Tigers chasing them down, like right, like desperate, knocking the ball, dead, grounding it going, whatever it took. And that's not something you see every day from the team. Like usually the team would not have bothered, wouldn't have chased that stuff up and, and Newcastle would have scored. So it shows that something's changed, but you know, historically with the Tigers, when something changes, it doesn't change forever. So the, the real test is how they're backing up against the Dragons next week. Um, and for poor old Newcastle, like it was always going to be tough without Ponga because I think they've grown. That Like last week was a great game for them. They come back with and everything, but they probably played a bit of Ponga ball where, you know, just chuck it to Kalen and see what he can do. And he can do amazing things and they won the game. Um, so losing him was always going to be tough. But uh, like, I, th- I think I'm going to probably say Newcastle are the biggest disappointment of this year. They've got, I think their list is like they've got, a, they've easily got a top eight list. Um, they could probably challenge for top six if they've got their stuff right, but they're just not firing. I don't know what it is. And I reckon Adam O'Brien's probably got two or three games before the fans turn and get sour.
0: Yeah. I mean, speaking of Adam O'Brien, there people have sort of interpreted his press conferences deflecting blame away from himself. And he's come into a club with a, a losing culture and he doesn't know how to fix it. I, I, Listened to it, And I thought he was being fairly like down on himself as him needing to fix it, not blaming other people for it. But you're right that they've underachieved massively. Actually, I mean, at risk of inciting another fan base in one podcast, I, I didn't have Newcastle in my eight this year. I thought they've got a really strong pack, but too many problems elsewhere. They've missed. Injury wise, it's, it's been a problem for them. I don't think they've seen Edric Lee this year, Heimel Hunt's out again, so that their backs have been particularly skinny and then their halves have obviously been hit by uh Pierce being out. I think Pierce being out's actually been massive for them. I think uh, he's a guy that people sort of love to to bag, but he's a, a really key player for them. And he's obviously, you know, experienced premiership you know, premiership winning number seven. So of course he's key, but I don't think it's sort of been I think it's been glossed over a bit just how much they're they're missing him and then Blake Green's out at the moment as well. So there's some huge outs for them. But um yeah I'm just not sure. I feel like they may be overachieved a tiny bit Last year, and there's just yeah maybe a few little deeper problems that need to be sorted out, but um, yeah, I can't put the Knights in in the eight for the end of this season for sure.
2: Yeah, yeah, I, I don't think that makes the idea the way they're going, but there are some some significant uh, Newcastle voices, and I won't I won't like say who they are, but that that have started um, putting out some pretty big statements about the playing group, like they. Um, you know, they because the town loves them so much. They they don't think they have to try hard, and they're not. You know, they, they they just think that turning up makes you a footy player, but it doesn't. And they're too preoccupied with their like social media profiles or whatever. Um, and I think that's just you know, New, Newcastle fan base are resilient. They've seen, they yeah, they endured three, I think was it three consecutive wooden spoons. There was at least two, then they kept showing up, and they still had decent crowds. And they'll, they'll stick by the team, but they won't criticize the team as they do it. And I think the the, the noise is just gonna get louder. And it's like with any team, like when you're going through a tough spot, all you need to do is have a win and, and half of that noise goes away, probably two-thirds of it. Mm. Um, but I don't really I, I haven't looked at the draw, but I don't know who they've got next. But I I just can't see them stringing a win together if they, if they, if they, if they play like that. So um it's it's gonna be tough. Oh, they got the Cowboys on Thursday night. You never know, but it's in Townsville, so. The Cowboys on the sure. up.
0: I mean, Cowboys, like you said, have mm. been sort of improved. And what is it, Manly, Paris, South after that. So yeah, it's going to be a tough little run Yeah. heading into Origin where they probably lose a couple of forwards. D's yeah, South tough time South. for the guys yeah. in Newcastle. Yeah, and we sort of pivoted away from Tigers, but I was going to uh, talk to you about the team changes and, and Luke Brooks. Do you feel like, I guess the theory is probably that um, Adam Dewey was maybe being a bit more of a dominant playmaker. Um, maybe him and Luke Brooks I don't know not necessarily complimenting each other as well as they could. And then having Moses Embi there instead, who's very much, a, I guess, a supporting role player, certainly these days. I don't think he's ever really been a, a dominant playmaker, but I think Embi's best role in a team probably is as a supporting six next to a, a dominant seven. And then Adam Dewey had a fantastic game at centre. He's good wherever you put him, but he's played fullback. He's played six and seven and centre, and he's been pretty good for um, Souths and, and Tigers wherever he's played. Maybe just, you know, people sort of, it's a one-game sample, so maybe they, they fall in a heap next week, but that could be the – maybe that's the solution to getting the best out of Luke Brooks.
2: It's, it's an odd one because, I, like, Luke Brooks, we say, is a dominant half. Like, in terms of uh, playmaking and presence on the field, I would say both by and Luke Brooks are, are, like, the complete opposite because Brooks is a dominant half, but I don't think he's a dominant uh, team member. And, like, I, I don't think he talks – as much as I think a dominant halfback should talk. Like, I don't know what goes on off the field, of course, but like I I don't see him barking orders. I don't see him riving up the team. I don't see him directing things. And that doesn't mean he's not doing it. It just means that I'm not seeing it. Doesn't mean it's not there. And M by the opposite. Like I, I do see him as a talker. Like he was a captain a couple of years ago. Like I do see him as someone that you know tries to inspire his his teammates. He he's bark you know, he yells orders. He's Directing people around, but he is more passive when it comes to playmaking. So it's it's a it's an odd one, but as long as it's working, who cares, right? But like you said, a one game sample. We'll see what happens next week. They have got the Warriors next week.
0: Yeah, and that's been Tiger's problem. Is not it's, the, the problem hasn't been pulling out a good performance. It's been pulling out good performances week after week after week. they can yeah. one of those teams that's you know beaten a, a Roosters or a Storm out of nowhere, even when they're not going that great. But then can't back it up the week after. So be interesting to see if this uh, sticks around. Um, Anyway, it's the end of a a reasonably long podcast, but some good in-depth chat about uh, Magic Ground. Plenty of uh, good footies, a few dramas and controversies, but um, yeah, very entertaining weekend. So thanks once again for uh, being here. Thanks everyone for listening. We'll be back next week to break down round 11.